Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land, and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. comes with a 20-year warranty. And a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to you by Endy. Since launching in 2015, Endy has become the leading online sleep brand in Canada. The company is headquartered in Toronto, and its signature product, the Endy Mattress, is Canadian-made. Their mission is simple, to provide Canadians from coast to coast with the best possible sleep at the fairest possible price. And exclusively for listeners of this podcast, use the offer code CANADALAND at ndendy.ca, and you'll get 50 bucks off of their already incredibly priced mattresses. This episode is also brought to you by Simple Tax, the friendly and fast way to file your tax return. This is a pay-what-you-can tax filing service. They are so confident that they will save you money and save you time that you will just decide to give them money, and you don't have to. Go to simpletax.ca slash CanadaLand to see what this is all about. Finally, this episode of CanadaLand is brought to you by The Death of Stalin. Not the actual act of The Death of Stalin, but the movie from satirist Armando Iannucci, the creator of Veep, comes The Death of Stalin, a hilarious and timely black comedy about the Kremlin infighting that erupted after Stalin's death. I haven't seen this movie. I've heard nothing but incredible things about this. It looks hilarious, and really smart people are telling me that i got to go see it. I'm going to go see it, and I'll tell you what I think after. Four out of four from The Globe and Mail and a 95% fresh rating from Rotten Tomatoes, The Guardian says it is the best film of the year. Five stars. The Death of Stalin is now playing in select cities, including Toronto, additional theaters, March 30th. Go check it out. 
Courtney Shea, freelance writer with Chatelaine, Globe and Mail, Toronto Life, and others. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you here. Today we are going to talk about the CBC's hot take barter market. If they exploit you in their coverage, it seems that they then owe you column space for your terrible opinions. And we will talk about Alias Grace, the Canadian show that you could binge watch on Netflix everywhere in the world for five months, except in Canada. Good to have you here, Courtney. Thanks. This episode of Shortcuts is brought to you by David Samore, Ann Clayton, Nora Livingston, Daniel Duquette, Rolazind Zamfir, Michael McCauley, Kevin Skrepnik, and Judy Booth. My name is Judy Booth. I'm a graduate student at UBC, and I support Canada Land because it's entertaining and it helps me think critically about what I read. And Courtney, as I mentioned, this episode is brought to everybody by ND Mattresses. You are a patriotic Canadian. Does it do your Canadian heart proud to know that we have our own sleep brand in Canada? Um, it does now. Yeah. <laughs> How could you not feel great about that? <laughs> I feel like less of a person to see all of these wonderful sleep brands and to have none of them be Canadian. Thankfully, I don't care about that. What I care about is that um, ND makes their mattresses here and they avoid a lot of costs because their manufacturing is here and they ship and they don't have to pay all kinds of customs and they don't have to pay all kinds of currency exchanges. And what that means is that this great new thing where you don't have to spend more than you really should on a mattress is now even cheaper because you are a Canadian buying a mattress in Canada and it happens to be by all accounts an excellent mattress. I have a question. Yes. What is with the association between podcasts and mattresses? Is there a reason? Like I feel like the only time I hear about mattresses is in podcasts. It's because the mass media does not want you to know <laughs> how affordable it is to get an excellent Jesse no, Brown know. investigates. <laughs> <laughs> that is an excellent question. I think it's because you need like a full minute to tell people people about all the advantages to tell like you're going to get a mattress in a box. You got to go to a website to get it. You can try it out for a hundred days for free. If you don't like it, you send it back. They give it to a charity, but you probably will like it. Like, that's like, there's a, there's a lot of information there. So I think that's why podcasts are the chosen medium to tell people about Endy. And I will finish by telling people that because you're listening to this podcast, you can get 50 bucks off of your Endy mattress, which is already the cheapest mattress in a box for the best quality mattress in a box you're going to get. Go to endy.ca and use the promo code CanadaLand. days have been getting worse for pop rock group Headley. Not only did its management team cut ties with the group today, but both opening acts on its cross-country Cageless tour are pulling out. Broadcasters Bell Media, Chorus Entertainment and the CBC are dropping Headley's music from radio and streaming services. The tattoo artist who worked with the band on this 2005 music video is going even further. Lizzie Renaud was friends with Headley singer Jacob Hogard for 13 years. She's now offering to cover Headley tattoos former fans want to get rid of. I was really crushed, really crushed, really angry, like uh, between rage and sadness. So Courtney, CBC has covered this case of the tattoo artist offering to remove people's Headley tattoos. And you wrote about this for Chatelaine as well. And this becomes a very winding narrative as to how this played out in the media. But why don't we start with what you wrote about when it comes to uh, Headley's fan base and this tattoo removal thing. And maybe even just, we haven't talked about on the show yet, the allegations surrounding Headley and its front man. Sure. Well, for me, the 
the fact that these fans had these tattoos and that they were both going to a tattoo artist to have them removed, but more significantly that a lot of them were attacking that tattoo artist on Twitter was really, it's how I began my story because it's it's a good way of illustrating how passionate Headley fans are. And you talk about the allegations and obviously that's why we're all talking about Headley now. For us, in terms of settling on my story and, and deciding what we we're going to write about, it was really born of Chatelaine started putting up just a few pieces about Headley on their Facebook page. It got a lot of traction. I think this came as a surprise to the editors, which is one of the things we talk about in the piece, that Headley fanship is is kind of this intense subculture. So it was really just a question of looking at that and thinking, hey, you know, yes, this band is in the middle of this this extremely, you know, serious situation with allegations of assault and rape. Um, and that's why we're all talking about them right now. I think, though, the other thing for us was like, wow, did you know Headley had this fan base? Like, did you know that this band that sort of I associate with the guy from Canadian Idol 15 years ago had built up, you know, as I say in my piece, one of the most intense fan followings in music? I mean, it's not something that I think we read about in the mainstream media. And maybe that's just a situation where I have my version of what the mainstream media is. But I spoke to one music critic, uh, Ben Rayner from The Star, and, you know, he sort of echoed my sentiment, which was like, yeah, no, Headley sucks. <laughs> so, and I get it, you know, music is a matter of taste for sure. But one of the things that, that Ben said that was so interesting to me is, you know, the way that these fans and like particularly the young female fans reacted to Headley and to Jacob Hogarth in particular as if he was, you know, Ben said Elliot Smith. I use broader references in my piece, or, you know, Leonard Cohen or, or Lou Reed, but it's true. They, they reacted to him like he was a, a prophet and while I don't use the term cult leader in my piece, the piece is called The Cult of Headley. And, and really, I think there are crossover between the way we perceive cults and the way Headley has built up this fan base. I don't know if that's too extreme, but no, uh, I mean, cultish. You know, yeah, your piece is really helpful and oriented because I mean, I had the same take. Like I was ambiently aware of this. Like you say, music is subjective. It's a matter of taste. But I think the technical term would be a cheese dick band, like a, like a middling <laughs> corporate, like just tune it out. Um, not a band of any significance. What do I know? So to kind of try to comprehend this very intense devotion, I mean, you know, I'm very familiar with how intense people can feel about bands, but like, I guess snobs who like us who would like, okay, I understand that for a teenager who's angsty about Leonard Cohen or Elliot Smith, but like Headley, really? You did a good job of orienting me with like, okay, if you followed Headley, watch them play in a small club, they would stick around afterwards. And they had a handsome front man who would talk to you and, and uh, the, yeah, I don't know, a bit of a teeny boppery thing, but explaining the backdrop that helped me understand this piece that the CBC opinion ran. Right, um, right. Uh, which is, is where this whole thing kind of devolves, where, you know, and to give a little bit more background, my understanding of the allegations are it, it went from kind of like murmurings of like, you know, do, do, do women want to come forward with Me Too stuff about Headley, where the allegations kind of grew and grew until ultimately there are, what, two women alleging rape at this point? One woman alleges rape. Another woman shares a story which certainly to me would fit my definition of rape. It's not a word she uses, so I don't know sort of the ethics around what word I would use, but she said that he penetrated her anally as she said no. So, I, I mean... Yeah, that's the legal definition of rape. That, uh, that's what I think. I mean, yeah. I just want to point out that that's not what she called it. And, Fair and that word isn't mentioned in her take on what happened to her, which sounds horrible. Um, but yeah, it escalated from sort of this one woman who was publishing anonymous stories online, um, a lot of them shared by women who say they were underage when they experienced sort of harassment at the hand of Headley. And they have taken responsibility for like what they call like disrespecting and objectifying women 
but the frontman Jacob Hogard uh, denies yeah. uh, doing anything non-consensually. So, you know, those are the allegations. All this leads uh, again to this CBC piece by an opinion piece by a Headley fan, which is like kind of like, hey, we've heard a lot of negative stuff about Headley. On the other hand, maybe these are all a bunch of liars, which is an odd take. I mean, like the further you get into it, it doesn't get any better. Like when I first saw it, I was like, you know, why I'm standing by Headley. And as you get into it, it doesn't get any more edifying. Headley has always been a band that pushes the limits. They've always had a reputation for being wild and at times slightly inappropriate. In terms of objectifying women, well, Headley is paying a very high price for something that so many other bands and artists do. This type of behavior was far more socially acceptable in decades past and was usually just chalked up to the quote-unquote rock and roll lifestyle, as cliche as that may sound. I mean, this is a full-on apologist piece that is trying to minimize and undercut allegations of sexual assault and file them under like, hey, bands have groupies, what do you want? And running that on the CBC's opinion vertical not only like legitimizes what I think is, there's just no evidence that this uh, Kate Graves is basing her dissembly, her critique of the accuser's account on. Yeah, I mean, I would agree that that is the effect of the piece. I don't know whether that was the, you said this is what it's trying to do, whether that is what it was trying to do. I'm not totally sure of that. I mean, I guess maybe I'm too much of a benefit of the doubter. But if I were going to try and say something positive about this piece, it would be that a lot of the things she expresses in the piece that I, you know, so fundamentally object to are the opinions that I heard from Headley fans when I went to the concert and asked them about the allegations. You know, online, we saw these women acting, you know, bullies would be a generous term, acting so disgustingly. But in person, you know, these Headley fans sort of said, well, innocent until proven guilty. And, you know, they referenced sort of that rock stars have behaved like this forever. And because I was trying to sort of get their take as opposed to get in a debate with them, which, I mean, I totally disagree with everything they say, But I guess I just feel like, you know, it's sort of like with Trump voters in America. These opinions are out there. They are held by, to me, a a tragically large percentage of the population. And so if I were to give the CBC piece the benefit of the doubt, I'd say maybe they were trying to show sort of the point of view from I mean, it's wrong. Lots but... of people think this, and we're not going to pretend that it's not out there. But by your account, the slavish devotion to Headley goes beyond just like, I stand by this band. It, it extends to issuing death threats to the accuser. So why that is something that the CBC needs to represent. A lot of people were saying, why would you publish this? And so as we're not focusing all of our you know, uh, critique on, on the author of that opinion piece, Kate Graves, who really does seem like she's new at this and is sort of stumbling in as a fan to a, a very complicated issue. A lot of people directed their ire, uh, Manisha Krishnan and Vice and others, to the editors saying, like, did you think you were doing this person any favors right. I just, by, by letting them run this this piece? Absolutely. I just want to be clear that in sort of providing what I would see as possible benefit of the doubt to sort of the motivations behind this piece doesn't mean I completely agree with you. You know, I'm I'm yeah. horrified by, you know, the fallacies that are perpetuated by this piece. It made me upset. And it did make me wonder what the editor was thinking. Um, I guess I just feel like the opinions that she expressed or or more like almost the feelings she expressed, because that's, I think, how she was presented. They deserve to be explored. I just think that an op-ed wasn't the right place for it because they 
deserve to be explored by a journalist who's going to present them and then yeah, talk about them, unpack the, them. The way you did it was it was not an excuse to dump on or, you know, castigate all of Headley fandom. The, you know, it, it was... As we sit here and call Headley cheese dicks. But yeah, no, totally. <laughs> but the I, fact, I mean, you, you were like, look, uh, like, these are young women who have uh, a lot of emotion invested in this band. Let's try to understand them. But giving them that platform and saying, here, take your opinion to market, uh, a lot of people are like, why would the CBC choose to do that? And this is where things get weird. Mm, definitely. So the author, Kate Graves, tweets when she's like promoting her CBC opinion piece, she tweets... My Headley Online column has been, all caps, published, uh, smiley face emoticon. I was offered to write an opinion piece as part of CBC correcting their mistake for using my tattoos without my permission. And so we, like, what? Our editor, Jonathan Goldsby, is like, what are you talking about? And the narrative, as best we can put it together, is we started this segment by playing a bit of The National when they were telling the story of this tattoo artist mm-hmm. who said, I will remove your Headley tattoos. CBC issued this report. And in illustrating this story, I guess they just went online and pulled pictures of Headley tattoos. And one of the tattoos that they illustrated, ostensibly here is somebody who wants their Headley tattoo removed, who no longer supports the band, was a tattoo belonging to this Kate Graves. And Kate Graves objects to the CBC and says, hey, I am not having my Headley tattoo removed. You've misrepresented me. You've exploited me. I stand by Headley. Like, I, I, we were having a whole conversation about this. Like, there are instances where somebody says, you've misrepresented me. And we've said, well, we went to you for comment. You never got back to us. Would you like to comment now? We'll give you all the space you want to comment now. That feels different than this, right? It, it does feel different for sure. And just to clarify, I wasn't aware that they had actually presented her tattoo as the tattoo of a fan that was being removed. Is that what... I mean, I understand I, I how those uh, things could be conflated. It's but unclear because if, if in a story about Headley tattoo removal, totally. you show a picture of, of somebody's body with a Headley tattoo on it and you're saying all these fans want their tattoos removed, I think there's a logical inference. Yes, I, but I just draw a distinction between actually labeling it that way. Fair enough, um, yeah. I guess what I would say is... For sure, the optics seem extremely suspicious. On the other hand, I mean, when we say sort of, did they offer her this? You know, she calls them. She says, that's my tattoo. You don't have permission. You've misrepresented me. Like, what do we think she was going to do? I guess I just think, isn't it possible, on the other hand, that, you know, she's freaking out. She's talking to this editor. This editor says, Sure, it's our mistake. We'll take it down right away. And then, you know, she obviously is someone who wants to talk about Headley and talk about why she's standing by them. So maybe, you know, her passion sort of struck an instinct in the editor, like, okay, this is someone with the other point of view. Maybe this is someone who we should give an op-ed to. Maybe. Maybe. But, I mean, but it, yours is maybe, too. I mean, it, it, I— It is, except, like, I mean, it is hard to imagine an editor thinking this is a good idea editorially, um, independent of it. And she did walk away from this exchange and publicly presented this as this is part of the CBC correcting their error, right? But do we take—I mean, I don't consider her a credible source. No, and then she later backtracked that. I want to be very clear that I wasn't given the opportunity to write my opinion column on Headley because that was, quote-unquote, payment for CBC messing up and using my tattoos. I got the, quote-unquote, clarification statement from that issue. The column was something I expressed an interest in on my own. I just I don't think it's the only problematic piece that we've seen in terms of the coverage of Headley. And I kind of feel like there was a piece in The Globe the other day. Oh, Deborah, so yeah, yeah. I'm paraphrasing here, but sort of what Headley can teach us about Me Too. Um, also an op-ed, but, you know, an op-ed written by a field expert who obviously then is presented as an expert and doesn't have a, a personal connection to what's going on with Headley. I felt that that piece sort of 
used Headley very quickly as a jumping off point to get into all sorts of opinions around Me Too culture that I found problematic at best, like offensive, upsetting. I mean, if people haven't read the piece, I'm not going to sort of read it, read through it. But basically, I think that with the CBC op-ed, one of the things that I guess I thought was less bad about it is that it was an op-ed by a fanatic. Like, they didn't sort of hide who was writing this. Mm -hmm. So this is a woman. She is not a professional. She is not a journalist. She clearly identifies herself as someone with extreme opinions about Headley. So as I read it, I am not under any illusions about I'm reading her opinions for what they are, the opinions of a you know, fan. fan, which is, you know, short form for fanatic. So she is like very blatantly identified as fanatical, whereas this piece in The Globe, again, an op-ed, but could easily be read as sort of an expert's take. And I mean, sorry, it, it is. It's it is presented an expert, as an expert's take. For as sure. an expert take. And whereas the CBC op-ed is saying, I'm an individual, this is how I feel. The, this Globe piece is saying, I am an expert and this is what you should think. Here's how and it is. And that yeah. really bothers me. You know, there's so many different fallacies on rape culture presented within that piece. And it's not that I don't think that they're worth arguing. You know, just as a few examples, she sort of, one of her key points is that, you know, any day now, someone you know could find themselves in the middle of a, a Me Too moment. And it's sort of, yeah, like it's, I get what she's saying, but no, like one really good way to avoid a Me Too moment is to not sexually harass women. Mm -hmm. So I think most of us who can tick yes to that box are actually pretty safe from Me Too allegations. She makes all sorts of connections between this sentiment, I believe women, and the idea that those people then think it's impossible that one woman will eventually lie. I mean, and she... That, that is... That's uh, not what it, it means. That is a frequent... Ever since that hashtag um, emerged, and I immediately understood that what that hashtag to mean was not women never lie. I immediately understood the hashtag is about resetting the fact that the default that everyone had before that hashtag was doubt women question women, make them prove th their allegations. And, and the assumption is it didn't happen until, you know, they somehow prove otherwise. Yeah. Why don't we switch to a default of saying, if somebody is coming forward and putting themselves in a very vulnerable position by making this accusation, let's start from a place, not in the criminal system, no, uh, but in our cultural conversation with them, let's start from a place of trust and credibility where we say, you can talk to me, I will believe you, talk to me. And a hundred or a thousand opinion pieces since are like, this crazy radical movement has in its ideology that women never, ever, ever lie. And, like, you cannot cite any, like— Well, then let's not talk about it. Right? You know, like, it's just ridiculous. There is no one I have ever heard in this debate who will actually say, women never lie. You know, like, in the most radical side of the, you know, Me, Me Too movement of the most anti-patriarchal, I have never heard a voice who was willing to argue every single allegation is accurate. Right. So it's just a completely mischaracterized straw man to attack the— yeah, Believe I mean, women. and she's got this piece includes so many straw man. Yeah, that's a good word for it. And sort of the general idea. I mean, maybe she's not saying this explicitly, but to me, you read the piece and you think like, oh, yeah, no, the victims of Me Too culture are the as yet unidentified or I mean, I'm sure they have been identified, but sort of these men who exist in the shadows, who are apparently innocent and accused by these horrible women who are like, as if that's sort of the story of Me Too. You know, she's saying between 2 and 10% of women lie about allegations. I don't know where she got that stat from. But I mean, even if that is true, there's so much focus on, oh, what about these men? What about these poor men? Even though, you know, first of all, Jacob Hogard, she has no reason to believe that Jacob Hogard is an example of this. That An innocent I've, victim of, of false accusations. No, There's no not reason at all. To believe that. Yeah. So she really, I mean, he's an inappropriate jumping off point 
for her story. If you're going to do a Me Too has gone too far, there's other people you could look at. Than, no, yeah. like, I mean, what's happening with Jacob Hogarth is not an example of Me Too going too far. So I think it's a problem that it's used as a jumping off point for her arguments, which I, within which I think there are so many problems. But, you know, it's the same thing. It's the reason why the CBC piece, I think, is problematic is because she is presenting herself, this woman. Kate Graves. Kate Graves is presenting herself as as the damaged party here. Like she's hurting. She is in distress. And when the other damaged parties are women who are saying that they have been raped, then like there's a problem with presenting, with sort of validating the fact that she's really hurting right now because it's not the hurt we should be focusing on. And while I sort of stand by the idea that there is a place in our coverage for what makes the people who are supporting Headley feel the way they do. I do think that, you know, when her hurt is sort of implicitly being compared to the hurt of people who are saying that this person raped them, then yeah. like that that sucks. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a problem. Courtney, let's uh, duly note a couple of things. Okay. I guess while we're talking about the secrecy of media organizations, I want to point out these like mysterious departures that keep happening. You know, Michael Cook, editor-in-chief of the Toronto Star, retiring, and that could be just absolutely benign. I mean, there's certainly enough stuff that's gone wrong under his tenure that, you know, any one of those things could have been grounds for uh, a, a suggested retirement, or maybe this is simply, you know, he's, he's had his run. We don't really know. Scott Laurie of CTV News, 18 years with CTV News, and then he just disappears from their websites. And CTV says, we have no comment beyond confirming that he is no longer with Bell Media. There is a tweet from a colleague of his, Kevin Gallagher at CTV, saying, oh, he was sending out creepy emails to young female co-workers. Hmm. Um, I, I suspect that that might have something to do with his departure. There you go with your wild... <laughs> <laughs> My wild conspiracy theories. Yeah, exactly. Where am I getting this Where'd stuff? you get that idea? Yeah. And then you got Patrick McGuire, who was one of the higher-ups uh, running Vice Canada and later content and I think really involved in their TV projects. And then his boss, Michael Cronish, was brought on to take a very senior role in, in Vice Land and all their TV stuff. Makes sense for those guys to get the axe, given that the money's dried up from Rogers and that their, their TV fortunes are really faltering. But... All we get are, you know, messages on their social media accounts, McGuire just saying, uh, suggesting that, you know, after nearly a decade advice, I'm moving on to to take the time to pursue a number of personal creative projects. Uh, Michael Cronish tweeting just a series of hashtags, hashtag last week, hashtag thank you all, hashtag colleagues, hashtag friends, at Shane Smith 30, at Sarush Alvi, at Eddie Moretti, hashtag successor, hashtag vice Canada, hashtag ciao. There's like not, a, not sure what to make of that. I mean, like... <laughs> Uh, on the one hand, like this is just how it goes in all things, you know, when when people, especially at a senior level, you know, there isn't like we fired so and so. They're given They're the opportunity spending more time with their children. Yeah, and <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they did choose to leave. Uh, the point is that these people had incredible amount of responsibility, and a lot of people, you know, came and went, and other people got fired, and all sorts of things happened. Shows are canceled, and what happens when people at a high level are just like kind of they just disappear without explanation? Is you kind of just like for the people working in these organizations. Where's accountability? How do I understand what the stakes are for the people calling the shots? Mm -hmm. What does this tell us about where we're moving now? It's all just in a huge haze. And, you know, I, I've seen a lot of progress in media accountability over the past few years, but this kind of stuff still happens and it, it's frustrating. So, you know, uh, we get shit for casting aspersions or, or assuming, but again, it's a case where just like show a little bit of transparency with why you're making the decisions you're making. And, yeah. you know, duly noted. What do you have for us, Courtney? I would like you. And your listeners to duly note that turpentine is a poison, mm-hmm. not a health remedy. 
Um, and the reason that I'm bringing this up, I don't know if Good you know. have heard about the profile of Tiffany Haddish in GQ. It's by Katie Weaver, who is one of my favorite journalists, one of the, the best profilers in the business. And if you haven't heard of her, maybe you've heard of Who Bit Beyonce, which is currently, we are on very different streams. No, like I think I saw that somewhere in trending. I'm like, do I want to click on this and find out why? This is our media Venn diagram only crossover on Headley, maybe? I'm the weirdo. Um, like, okay. if you're not clicking on, on it's true. If you don't know Beyonce about, stuff, then, well, then and you're like, oh, look, the CTV anchor, then then that makes you the weirdo. Not and I'm not person. even, I mean, I'm not someone who wakes up and Googles Beyonce. Who bit Beyonce is, is huge right now. It's And it comes from this profile by Katie Weaver. Basically, in this profile of Tiffany Haddish, who I don't know if you know her, she's an actress. She stole the scene in a movie called Girls Trip, I want to say, and has sort of since then become this really beloved person in Hollywood to the point that she's now the subject of a Katie Weaver profile. And in the profile, Katie Weaver shares this story about how Tiffany was at a party with Beyonce, big deal after the Oscars. I think it was after the Oscars. And someone bit Beyonce. And this is told as just an anecdote about, you know, to express the fact that Tiffany Haddish is now running in circles or running in Beyonce's circle, I guess. But it's left at that. And then since then, because the question is never answered, the internet has gone crazy. It's a bit of a buried lead. Somebody bit Beyonce. Yeah. Okay. Thank okay. you. So I, Now I know. But that's my, my understanding of Duly Noted is that it's about talking about things that aren't getting talked about enough. Yes. So, Not just things um, that I'm uniquely ignorant of. As a result of who bit Beyonce, what isn't being talked about is another part of the profile where Tiffany Haddish tells Katie Weaver, the journalist, that she drinks, I mean, or takes a teaspoon of turpentine as a health remedy. And sort of Katie, the journalist, expresses, you know, some uh, reservation no, around this. No, don't even print that. What are you, oh. But then Tiffany says yes, and sort of they have this conversation, so it's not as if she sort of says, okay, I'll go out and try it. But it's left without being, I mean, it's not. it's not like they then say underneath, Turpentine is a poison. Yeah, you know, this is how the anti-vax thing starts. So, Don't do this. I think this is really interesting because in the same week that someone died using the same bee venom treatment that Gwyneth Paltrow recommended. So it really makes you think, like, if you're Katie Weaver, and as I said, I couldn't be a bigger fan, so I'm not sort of crapping on her. But when you're writing that story, the turpentine anecdote is great. And if you sort of, if you knew who Tiffany Haddish was, you would understand how it's like a great way to sort of articulate her personality in an anecdote, which is what any profile is looking to do. However, I do think that if, you know, we live in a world where people stick eggs up their vagina because Gwyneth Paltrow tells them to, um, God knows what they do because even Oprah tells them to, all of this celebrity health culture is dangerous in a day-to-day -day way in the sense that, you know, juice cleanses aren't good for you and colonics are a bad idea. But in this case, it's like, no, someone could die taking turpentine. Like, I wonder if I were Katie Weaver, if I would have, I mean, I know I would have printed it for sure because it's such a great anecdote. But if someone then went on to die taking turpentine, would I feel responsible? So that's what I'm asking you. Yes. Yes, yes, they would okay. be partly responsible. And congratulations for making me feel so smug and superior in, in my ignorance of celebrity culture. I feel totally gratified. <laughs> because in, you in weren't a, even thinking about drinking turpentine. Because now it's just a bunch of ninnies who are like putting eggs up. Okay, yeah, uh, duly noted. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge 
research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars and I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool, doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. Okay, Courtney, I'm going to thank our second sponsor today, and that is Simple Tax, the friendly, fast way to file your tax return. I suppose that there are a lot of programs out there that will walk you through the steps of filing your tax return. But here's the thing that separates simple tax. It is pay what you want. It is pay whatever you want. You can pay nothing and that's just fine. And it is tailor-made for CRA filings for Canadians. Our own managing editor, Kevin Sexton, put his return together using simple tax. And I asked him, I said, you know, you just paid them nothing, right? Like you did your tax return. And he told me he did his tax return. It's quite easy to do it. It was very efficient. But I said, like, you know, it was just you and me talking here. You, you didn't pay them when you didn't have to, did you? And he said, yeah, I gave them 25 bucks. They saved me $400, Jesse. I gave them $25. I'm not a cheapstake. What do you take me for? Or are you just projecting your own cheapness onto me? And then we kind of devolved from there. The point of this all is that he's a good man and he paid simple tax $25 because their service was terrific. People, your taxes are coming due. Skip the line, file online with Simple Tax, and pay them what you feel like paying them. Their optimizer will find you your maximum refund guaranteed. 99% of people who use Simple Tax rate them four stars or higher. So go to simpletax.ca slash CanadaLand. That is simpletax.ca slash CanadaLand. Courtney, um, for our final discussion today, this actually might be a new segment on shortcuts. Okay. Okay, we'll see. If we do it again, it'll be a segment we'll come up with theme music for it, or maybe it'll just be today. But I have a feeling it'll come back. What's and it called? I think the segment is going to be called, Oh, So I'm the Idiot? Mm-hmm. Or, at the end of each time I do this, we'll either say, Oh, So I'm the Idiot? In a defiant and angry mm-hmm. uh, and ironic and sarcastic way. Or, Oh, So I'm the Idiot. Okay. Too high concept. <laughs> we need a better name. Um, I think, no, it's more like, I don't even know what we're about to talk about. So I'm going to like, maybe after I will understand. um, Yeah, you'll see where this is is the segment for Jesse stumbles into a debate with a take and is immediately called an idiot by a lot of people. And then he later tries to find out if he is as correct as he thinks he is, or if he is in fact the idiot he is being told that he is. 
Got it. Now, okay. And this happens on social media. This plays lot. out uh, yeah. with some frequency, <laughs> and I'm pretty sure I'm right. Everyone thinks so much about what they say on Twitter, though. But I might be an idiot. Okay, how do I tell this story? Do I get to decide yeah. if you're the idiot? <laughs> this is all going to be up to Amazing. you. I'm handing you quite a bit of power here. So let's go back five months ago when I start hearing on you know, like Slate Culture Gab Fest and reading the AV Club in places that there's this great new buzzy, bingeable TV show uh, called Alias Grace. It's the new Handmaid's Tale. Yeah. And I'm dodging spoiler alerts. I'm kind of like, oh, this is, you know, Atwood is in the news and, and it's a hot property. And, and you know, like the way that it, you start to get interested in watching a TV show and everyone's saying this is the new Netflix show that everyone's binging. And I go to Netflix and I can't see it. It's not there. And I kind of forget about it. And then the other day, I think, did it play on CBC? Well, this is what I, you know, I, I kind of had some ambient awareness of this, but I, I was motivated to watch it, but I wasn't motivated enough to go and seek it out. Right. And I would have found it if I had, but you know, it's a slow burn, <laughs> slow burn for me. And so, um, just the other day I'm on Netflix and it goes recently added alias grace. Mm -hmm. So what I find out is that alias grace has been available on Netflix everywhere in the world for the past five months, except Canada. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is that Canada helped make Alias Grace, which seems pretty counterintuitive to me. That as a result of CBC making Alias Grace as a co-production with Netflix, we're the one country that doesn't have it on Netflix. And I go to town with this take that it isn't, isn't this kind of wrong that we're almost being punished for having paid. But don't in you, I mean, to me, if something seems counterintuitive, my first instinct would be there's probably, I'm not saying I would agree with the reason. Yeah, there's but, probably a reason. I mean, I admire your ability to go forth with a take. <laughs> I knew that this had played on CBC. Uh -huh. I, I did know that. And people were very quick to say, oh, so you're an idiot. Uh, this has been available the entire time. I don't time. think the CBC part should make you an idiot. Well, me saying, why isn't this more accessible? Why has this on not Netflix, been on Netflix? Where most, or I don't know, where a lot of people get Thank their entertainment. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Because I should say there was a ratio here. Like over like 200 people hit like on that tweet. Mm -hmm. uh, and there were 50 people who commented to say, no, you're an idiot. This has been available on CBC throughout. And in fact, we got it first through CBC TV before it was on Netflix anywhere. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, you know what? I don't have a TV and I don't use the CBC's really shitty website, which has advertisements all over it. Mm -hmm. And then people are like, oh, well, you're an idiot because now you're just whining. Because if you really wanted Alias Grace, it was available to you this whole time. I still think that there is a really valid point here, which is essentially that CBC's mandate is to take a billion dollars from us every year and make stuff with it and then give us that stuff. And it's actually in their mandate that they are mandated to make it available through the most efficient means possible. I would go ahead and venture a guess to say that now that even though it's like five minutes after it's been hyped in the rest of the world, more people in Canada are going to watch it now on Netflix than watched it on the CBC's awful site earlier. And if the CBC were simply about giving us the content that we paid for, then they would have done what they did when the Tragically Hit played their last concert, which is like, there are all kinds of ways to make uh -huh. content available. They put it on YouTube without ads. Everybody can watch it that way. They instead went for a very old school media model of exclusion. We're going to limit people's access to this so that we can make the most money possible through advertising. And we're going to prioritize getting those ad dollars from getting the biggest audience possible. And that, mm -hmm. to me, is the opposite of what we want the CBC to be doing. So we know then... As I said, like when I hear that, it sounds counterintuitive and I would want to know why. So we know then that the why is because CBC decided it's not some 
I mean, there's so many bizarre. Yes, we Netflix. know. Okay, so it, it, it was a licensing deal dis- with with okay. what they call windowing. So basically, first window we get to show it on CBC TV before Netflix gets it around the world. Mm-hmm. Second window, Netflix gets it around the world, not in Canada. We can exclusively play right. it on our app and our website. And then this is where we're at now. After a five month period. You can't even get it for free on CBC's website. You can only get it on Netflix. So now you have to pay. And essentially you're paying twice because we've paid for it to be made and now we have to pay again for Netflix. So, right. and maybe I'm arguing out of both sides of my mouth because I want it to be on Netflix, but I'm also making the argument why it should be. My, my bottom line philosophy of public broadcasting is that it should just be absolutely free to play anywhere if we've paid for it. And this is a larger existential question as to whether or not CBC should be both commercial and public. Well, it's true because then when people say, oh, I mean, the CBC gets crap ratings. No one watches the CBC. If they were to look at alias Grace numbers with that in mind, then I agree with you. The mandate should be to let people watch it. But you can understand why it's not a big mystery what motivated them. They want a lot of people to watch their show on their network because they should want that. Maybe they've gone too far. I agree with you for the first part. They should want a lot of people to watch their show. If you're going to be spending lots of Canadians' money on making a show, you Mm -hmm. should want a lot of Canadians to watch it. But they should be wanting a lot of Canadians to watch their show on their network. Well, why? Why is that their job to make sure that people watch it on their network? Like we make podcasts here that people listen to on iTunes, on Google Play, on Spotify. Okay. And and Spotify charges people money to get access to our podcast. We don't see any of that money. Our job is to make our content, release it to the world, and get as big an audience as possible. Right. Yeah. No, I, I, I don't care if you listen to it on the Canada Land website or not. So why should the CBC care if they build up their own website? So then you don't care what your ratings are. It's not. Oh, I, I, would, I do. I would just assume that in order to continue to make programming, that when they sort of pitch their next show, that the people who get to decide on that will say, well, how many people watched Alias Grace? And will it matter how many people watched on the CBC? I don't know. No, I'm, 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 I'm making this more confusing. Yeah. They, they absolutely <laughs> should care how many people watch it. Yeah. Right? If, if, if nobody watches it, then there's a problem. But they shouldn't care where they watch They shouldn't it. care where they watch okay. it. Why should they? Unless, unless they are more concerned about selling ads than they are with getting an audience. And I, right. and I, and I guess I'm and saying can... they, we, we need to get them out of the ad business, you know? Right. One thing I think is that you putting that on Twitter and people sort of basically saying you're an idiot, hence this topic being covered in the Am I an Idiot segment, is that like people on Twitter are such like, yeah, you know, like that's not the point that you're trying to make. I think like there is nothing that some people love more than just correcting someone on Twitter. So I don't really think it's like, yeah, Jesse made a mistake. And they're just, you know, like their day is made. And who cares what it's about? I really think that like most of the stupid things that people say on Twitter, they just it's so exciting to get to sort of tell someone you're wrong because I guess people don't get to do that much. If I could summarize where we've landed here, I don't think I believe your conclusion is, oh, so you are an idiot, Jesse, but not for your take, only for the fact that you voiced it on Twitter. Um, I, I think that's where we're at. No, I don't. I think the people who responded to you were idiots. Ah, now we're totally okay. good. All right. Courtney, you can come back anytime. <laughs> <laughs> that's your Canadaland Shortcuts. You can email me about it at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read everything you send me. We are on Twitter at Canadaland. Are you on Twitter? I am on Twitter. Well, what is your Twitter handle? <laughs> I'm the person who told you how wrong you were. Um, my Twitter handle is at Coco Shea. Okay. If you come to canadalandshow.com, you will be strengthening our platform. Or you could just read our news stories on Facebook or anywhere else. We actually have an RSS feed that a lot of people don't know about. You can find that on our website as well. Our crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. This episode was produced by David Crosby. There's a new episode of DDX 
our medical show where a doctor meets a patient with a very rare and hard to diagnose ailment and then meets another patient with the same ailment and then another and then starts looking for that ailment even though it's not one that commonly presents itself. That's a type of bias doctors have to check for. Check that out at figure1.com slash DDX. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. And if you like what we do, please support us on Patreon. Thank you.